listening to RPC Ramblings, a podcast by Rich Hill Presbyterian Church. Hope you enjoy the chat. Hello and welcome back to RPC Ramblings. Um, We're glad that you've joined us today. I hope that you're having a good day, whatever you're listening along with. Um, I believe we've been accompanying a lot of people doing some painting and ironing, so maybe you're doing one of those things today. Um, my name is Leslie Ann Wilkinson. I'm one of the discipleship workers at Rich Hill Presbyterian. Um, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Richardson, my co-host. Hey, Alex. Hey, yeah. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Alex is also one of our discipleship workers. Um, and today we are joined by Harrison Perkins. Morning, Harrison. Hi. Good to be with you. Good to have you. Um, so Harrison taught me doctrine last year at Cornhill. Very wise man. We thought, okay, we need an expert in the room. And so we're very glad to have, have him along today. So how are, how are you, Harrison? Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, well, I'm doing pretty well, as well as probably anybody uh, in the world is doing right <laughs> now, given that we're in lockdown. Uh, I am the assistant minister at London City Presbyterian Church. Uh, so we're a congregation of the Free Church of Scotland in London. Uh, <laughs> so we're the southern out, outpost of the Scottish yeah. Church. Uh, I, I do some lecturing as a, as a visiting lecturer at Edinburgh Seminary, teaching uh, theology there as well. And uh, when time permits, also there at Cornhill where you attend. Yeah, great. Thank you. That's um, not really a London accent. So, well, actually, you've dotted about a bit. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so uh, I'm not from these islands, as people are probably guessing. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama is my home. Uh, so we're famous for having hot weather and, and good barbecue, I suppose. <laughs> and But uh, I came over to Northern Ireland to do a PhD at Queen's there uh, on, uh, as a, on an Irish archbishop in the Reformed tradition. And so spent a few years in Northern Ireland working for a PCI congregation in Saintfield. And then uh, coming up on the end of that uh, season of studies, I took this call in London. That's really cool. So we were saying beforehand about how John Torrens, our previous assistant who's just finished, has been called a second Saintfield. So there's always a funny link. That just shows you how small Northern Ireland really is. Um, but it's great to have you. You he said about doing your writing on, on Usher. He, he's a county Armagh man, isn't he? Like, so weird. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, so in Armagh Cathedral, actually, yeah. there was a stained glass window with, with Usher uh, in it, which, yeah, I don't know if he would appreciate that or not, but <laughs> it's there, and it's an interesting little thing to go see. Yeah. Well, we, as county Armagh church, we can, we can be proud of that then. Um, how are you guys? Alex, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. Um, I mean, um ready to get out into the garden and uh, <laughs> work out there it's a uh, it's a beautiful day weather's been absolutely stunning so but yeah not much exciting going on it's been um doing as well as possibly can do so yeah i know i love how harrison you said alabama's like famous for its hot weather and barbecues and like that's probably like proper hot weather and barbecues whereas right now we feel like that's all that we're doing with our like one week of good weather <laughs> The hottest temperature that I know of on record in Northern Ireland, we've hit that on Christmas Day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so there's that. Oh. Yeah, I believe that. But do you know what? I'll take the good weather while it's here. It's, it's been pretty good. How's London? London would be pretty hot and sweaty at times. 
Uh, it's certainly getting warm this week or so. The sun's out, which is great. I appreciate that. It gives you the opportunity since you can't really go anywhere yeah. else. Uh, it's nice at least to be able to go outside. So I've tried to go. There's a kind of a, not a really nice pitch, but a pitch uh, <laughs> around the corner uh, from us. And I've tried to go and, and run some laps around that uh, every day just to get out and see something besides my office. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah, well, Harrison, we're really glad that you're with us. So thank you for joining us. Um, last week, we started our second series on Attributes of God. And we talked about the fact that we actually can know God, that he has revealed himself and the enormity of that. Um, and throughout this series, we're going to be looking at different attributes, so characteristics of who God is as he has revealed himself. Um, so today, it's, it's, not, it's not really an attribute of God, but we're talking about the Trinity, so just who God is. Um, and I think this is an important place to start. It's, it's maybe a tricky place, historically a bit of a tricky place, and yet it's such a crucial place to start in that everything we say about God from here on in, we are saying about the triune God, that we are, we are speaking of God as this unity and trinity. Um, so we thought this was an important place to start, and we also thought that Alex and I are certainly not experts, so we better bring in the heavies. Um, so Harrison, we're really glad you're here. Uh, so yeah, let's just jump into that chat. Um, what do we actually mean? Like, what, what is the Trinity? So maybe this is a new word, or certainly it's a word that we've heard, but haven't really bothered to define. So what do we mean by Trinity? Yeah, so to put it um, briefly, well, I mean, one of the things that I think we should say from the outset, and you've hinted at it already, is that this is an important thing to discuss because this is our God. Mm -hmm. um, our God is triune. And so this is an issue of, of knowing whom we worship and knowing uh, who the God who condescends to rescue us from our sin and restore us to fellowship. So that makes it really important, knowing who God is. Mm. Um, but then to explain, well, what is the Trinity? Uh, the Trinity is, is an affirmation that the one God is three persons. And that may sound a little funny if you've never really thought too much yeah. about this, but uh, Christians should know that we don't worship multiple gods. We mm -hmm. worship the one God revealed to us in the Bible. But we also see in the scripture that this one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so as the scripture talks about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, these aren't different gods. These aren't unrelated beings. Uh, they aren't even uh, different ways the same God manifests himself. Uh, these are three persons with distinct things that we can say about them. And yet somehow in the mystery of the divine essence are the one God. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful because we're not, we're not disputing the fact that there is one God, even if we think of Deuteronomy 6, you know, that the Lord is one. And yet within that oneness, we see the three persons. So that's a, a helpful, like a unity of Trinity, like someone calls it the tri-unity, which I thought was helpful, like the unity of the three. Um, so yeah. yeah so the standard formula um, that ha has been part of our Christian vocabulary, I mean, in one ways, uh, being a Christian and, and knowing what we believe is, is not that much different than um, taking English lessons in school. Uh, there's a grammar that mm. comes with it, and we have to learn the grammar of our faith. Uh, and so... One of the phrases that I think is really important for people to learn as, as the grammar of being a Christian is uh, God is one in essence, but three in persons. 
Now, there's a lot that unpacks that, but yeah. that is, a, I think, a phrase that is really important and really helpful to digest all of this material into one place. God is one in essence and three in person. Hmm. What do you mean when you, when you say that? Um, one in essence, three in person. Like, can you unpack that? Right, exactly. I mean, that's, it's the biggest thing we could say here, right? <laughs> and yet it doesn't tell us much if we don't open it up some. So when we say that God is one in essence, we're affirming the, that there is the one God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we think, so as you're working through a series on God's attributes, well, we know that God is eternal, we know that God is all-powerful. Mm-hmm. We know that God has authority over the world. We know that God is loving. Mm-hmm. All of these that we know that God is all-knowing. All I mean, there, there's a long list of attributes that we can talk about. And, and when we say God is one in essence, we mean that all three persons in the Godhead uh, share those attributes in the same, in the same way. They, they are um, partakers of the one and the same divine essence. So uh, that unity distinguishes them a little bit from us as human beings. So we talk about something called human nature, and yet uh, we all have sort of separate human natures. You know, we're, we're doing this interview over Zoom, and your all's human natures are in Northern Ireland in your yeah. homes, and my human nature is here where I am in London, uh, and we mean, you know, our body and souls are in different places on the globe. Well, it's not like that with God. Mm. Uh, we have separate human natures. The three persons of the Godhead share a nature. It's, it's a unified nature. So they have one will that they share together. The three persons of God are not willing different things or even different ways. They share a, a unified will. Um, that's an important point. They share uh, all knowingness. They, they know the same things um, because they are the one God. And yet, okay, so we've, we've talked about essence, one in essence, uh, the unity of God. And yet they are three persons. So there is the Father. Uh, we, we see that in the scripture. We, we see that there's also the Son. And we see that there's the Holy Spirit. And even though these are distinct persons, we also know that these are the same God. Uh, so famously, when John 1, you know, the beginning of John's gospel opens, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet we also see later in John 1 that the Word became flesh uh, by becoming the incarnate Christ. Well, that word was eternally God, distinct from the Father, and yet also part of the one Godhead. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's a, that's a sort of brief in, introduction into what that means. Um, I, I think that gets us off the ground a little bit. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's really, really helpful. Um, and I guess as you're talking, Harrison, I guess one of the questions I have of her thoughts is that, you say that um, there is a there's a unified will. We we want to say that all the different attributes that we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks, they apply um, to to the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and yet, 
often there can be almost an emphasis placed on one specific person of of the Godhead. So for example, Jesus Christ is is most important, or the Father is most important, or the Spirit is most important. And yet it's it seems what you're saying is that all these attributes um are 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 attributed to the three persons of the Godhead. Um and the, the three persons of the Godhead are are equally important. Is that is that what you're saying that we shouldn't have a a distinction or we shouldn't have Jesus being more important or father or, or spirit? Well, yeah, there's a few ways that we can uh, think about that. I mean, the gospel is the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a, a prominence that comes to the fore uh, for the son, that the son of God uh, achieved our salvation. And the gospel is about Jesus. And Nobody that's orthodox wants to undermine that emphasis. Mm. Uh, But so then we can ask the further question, though. Well, uh, what does the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ do? Well, it accomplishes our salvation. Yes, certainly. But what does that mean? Uh, It means that it restores us who are sinners and rebels against God to full communion with the triune God. Mm. Uh, So we are reunited in, in being able to have a, a, a relationship, a right relationship with the full Godhead uh, through the work of Jesus Christ. But even then, we can also say uh, that every person of the Trinity is still involved in the accomplishment of the gospel. The Father plans salvation. The, the Son accomplishes salvation uh, through his incarnate mission, uh, and the Spirit applies salvation to us by working faith in us uh, and uniting us to Christ, who grants to us justification, sanctification, uh, and eventually glorification. So, I mean, the three persons are yet still involved in the gospel, uh, even though it is the gospel of Christ, and the gospel of Christ restores us to fellowship with the triune God. So, um, there is an, uh, a due emphasis on Jesus, um, and yet we also shouldn't neglect uh, the importance of what this means for, in terms of relating to the, the whole Godhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and so actually if we're thinking then, you know, you said at the start about why this is so important, uh, and it's to do with the worship of God. Um, if we're going to worship God correctly, um, if we want to worship God in a way that is faithful, to scripture and how he's revealed himself to us by thinking about salvation or the gospel not just about jesus christ as important as that is but um the work of the father the son and the spirit in accomplishing um salvation for us um, and bringing us back into relationship with him actually we need to have a a trinitarian um father son holy spirit um yeah, we see the riches of, of, of not only who God is, but what God has done for us uh, more clearly. I mean, even when we think about that emphasis on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ dying to forgive our sins, well, that the love of God for us is magnified uh, all the more when we realize that it is the eternal Father who placed upon his eternal Son the curse that we deserved mm-hmm. when he died on the cross. 
and so that this father who infinitely loved this son, who was perfect and always with him, uh, that he would give that son for us. Well, that brings the gospel new depth uh, mm-hmm. and new light as, as we think about that. Um, certainly. And, and I think that we can be, it's good to be practical. Certainly as Christians, we want truth to affect our, our daily lives and the things we do and how we live. And sometimes we can be overly pragmatic mm-hmm. about how we, we think about certain things. So I think sometimes Christians think, uh, look, this is a big, deep, heavy thing. Uh, I know I'm saved. Uh, so just maybe don't fuss about this stuff. Um, and yet we don't, well, we shouldn't at least think about that in any of our other relationships. You know, uh, if, if I was here in my home with my wife and someone asked me, well, tell me about your wife. I said, look, we're married. Um, I'm really not that interested in knowing anything else except, you know, this relationship is, is there. I don't know much about her. Uh, I don't really want to know more about her. Um, and the same would apply to other types of relationships. You, you know, if people are listening and they, and they have kids, it's like, look, I've got a kid and, you know, it's, it's not really that exciting to know anything about that kid. I'd, I'd actually rather not. Please don't tell me about my child. <laughs> Uh, help me not learn about my child. That's actually, uh, I mean, that's contrary to the way we think about every other relationship. And yet uh, there is a drift sometimes to think that way about our relationship with God. We should be excited to know who this God is Mm -hmm. that has created us, that has redeemed us, that has appointed us to eternal fellowship with God. And, And this God who has done that for us is the triune God. So even if it's hard to understand, even if there are, are deep things to it, uh, it should be exciting because that's the nature of relationships. Mm. Yeah. And even off in the back of what you're saying there, like a right understanding of who God is takes the emphasis off us. So we're very quick to, to see how that applies directly, as you've said, um, rightly or wrongly, or by pursuing that or by trying to ignore that. But even just having a right view and understanding of who God is takes us out of the equation. So when we see that, that God is triune, um, eternally past, eternally future, that he has been in perfect unity and fellowship within himself, um, has always been able to express his love to within the persons of the Trinity, that um, like even creation is an overflow of that love, you know, the desire to, um, to yeah, overflow that love onto others, to his, to his creative beings, to his creation. But knowing firstly that he didn't need that because he is a triune God, I think that then puts the spotlight back where it should be, that we see the majesty of, of who God is, that he is perfect and all-sufficient in of himself. Um, because there's maybe an element of, of our understanding that God needs us or that um, we somehow complete God as if there's a lack there. But see, knowing that he is a triune God shows us that he is sufficient and complete and of himself whereas if, if he were a single god there maybe wouldn't be the same same sway there like does that make sense is that is that fair to say yeah i, I mean I, I think that there's a a really interesting diagnostic question that we can ask ourselves when we come to the trinity um and uh, if we if we would rather not talk about it is that because it's not about me yeah uh, in you know most 
so, so other doctrines in the Christian faith have, you know, a, a relatively direct um, reference point to us as people, as God's people even. Um, and this one is putting the spotlight certainly somewhere mm. else on God himself. And, and so if we ask ourselves, well, does this one not interest me because it's not about me? Well, um, that's something to consider in multiple <laughs> ways and, and perhaps uh, even repent of that. Yeah. Um, because, I, I mean, uh, if, yeah, when, when people spend a lot of time in church, uh, I have a fear that they can come to think that they know everything that there is to know about God. Mm-hmm. And that's when they think God is boring. Um, and if you know anything about the true God, you know that you don't know everything about mm-hmm. him. Uh, and God is, uh, is not something we can master. Mm-hmm. You know, understanding God is not something we can master. And so this, in one way, you know, thinking about the Trinity is a manifestation of what the Christian life, at least in part, should be. Uh, falling deeper and deeper in love and in adoration with who our God is. God is amazing and has the inherent ability, not, simp- not even needing what he does for us, but simply by who he is to captivate our hearts and minds and flame our affections for him simply by who our God is. Uh, mm. And thinking about the Trinity can remind us of that. Um, and so if this is hard to understand, that's fine. Mm. That's good. Uh, if we could understand it, it wouldn't be the true God. Mm-hmm. And, and so this should remind us about the pursuit of God throughout the whole life of faith. And, and how amazing that opportunity is. It's interesting, Harrison, you say that sometimes we can think that this is really complicated. This is incredibly hard to understand. And we do want to say that, uh, yes, we will never completely understand who, who God is. Um, but at the same time, we can say, um, this, is, this is hard. Let's, let's forget about this stuff. And instead, let's, let, let's think about practical things that, that can get us through and um, even when it comes to suffering let's think about practical things that that will get us through and um, and what we can almost do or, or the way we can think is that it's it's like self-help guide of like practical steps if that makes sense rather than thinking rather than looking to god and the more we come to see god and who he who he is through his word um that actually that is what we need, um, a better realization, a better understanding of God um, yeah. to, to minister to our hearts. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really profound point. And, and I mean, it's something that um, we forget easily. One of the things is we, get tra- we, we look at our situations and we see our struggles, um, some of them with our own sin, some of them with the external realities of the world and, and troubles that are foisted upon us. Um, and, and we we lock in on that. Uh, and you know, some, some might think, well, what I really need is somebody to walk me through. How do I get out of this? Uh, the scripture tells us that Christians are going to suffer. Um, whatever that looks like. I mean, it, you know, that takes different manifestations and I'm not being doom and gloom. That might be just like you have internal difficulties dealing with the world. 
Um, but something will be hard about this world because it's not our home. And I actually don't think as a pastor that the most helpful thing I can do for my people is, is walk them through how to get out of a specific situation. The best thing I can do for them, the most helpful thing that I can do for them is point them to the God who is so Mm -hmm. much bigger than this. Uh, They need hope that transcends the mire of this world. They need to know about the God who is building the city, you know, to which we look forward. And, and that glimpse of God's own majesty, as feeble as, you know, our efforts to describe it might be, is actually what will get them through the difficulties of this world uh, better than any sort of, you know, nominal practical advice that I might be able to give. And and I think that the scripture supports that. Uh, You know, I've been working through some of the Psalms in the evening devotional videos that we've been putting out and just kind of working consecutively through uh, some of the Psalms in the twenties right now. And you come to Psalm 29 and, you know, even though the preceding Psalms have been giving voice to some form of distress Psalm 29 is this interruption that's entirely about God and his majesty, God of the storm, God who is supreme over all things of creation. And you think, why is that? Why did God put that Psalm in his Bible here? Well, yeah, because in the midst of our distress, we need to pause at times Mm. and quit thinking about ourselves and think about our God. Mm. And that's really like profound. So if we say that, as we're united to Christ and salvation, that we experience every blessing of Christ, to understand what that means as, as Christ is part of the Trinity, so as he is, is loved perfectly by the Father, as he enjoys perfect fellowship with the Father, with the Spirit, so we too enter into that as we are united to Christ. And, and if we remove the triune God from that, if we just have a, a version of a God, whatever way you want to put that, we lose so much in that. So, so what you guys were saying about as we, as we draw near to God, as he is revealed, we see that as we draw near to the triune God, as he is revealed, that there's such a richness in that um, that would be lost without the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I guess if we just move along a little bit. So we, we've been talking about the Trinity. We've been talking about a triune God. We've been talking about how scripture, like, like we've mentioned, even you're saying about Psalm 29, um, or, or throughout scripture, we see this God revealed. And yet the word Trinity is never actually used. So should that concern us? Is that an issue? What might be said of that? Yeah, well, it's, well, it's good that we focus on what the Bible says, certainly. Yeah. But as we speak, we are not limited as, as we try to describe what the Bible teaches. Mm. We are not entirely limited to the exact words that the scripture uses. So we can come up with terms that summarize the Bible's teaching. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, we kind of think, okay, Trinity, that's an, we may have heard it enough that it's, it doesn't sound weird, but if we think about it for two seconds, it's kind of a weird word. <laughs> um, but uh, actually it shouldn't be. The reason why it sounds weird is essentially it's a Latin word. So um, the Latin root behind it just means threeness. Mm. Uh, so, so really, we're talking about the threeness. And if we think about a passage like 
the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus commissions the church to baptize in the name of the Father mm-hmm. and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, that verse has threeness in it, mm-hmm. certainly. So, you know, we're fully justified in talking about threeness in reference to God when our Savior commissions, uh, you know, baptism, the initiation into his people to be in the, in the threefold name of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, ha- we can talk about the Trinity as simply summarizing what's very clear uh, in a passage like that. Uh, now, there are other things that can push us to think about, well, why would we come to these conclusions? Well, we've talked about John 1, you know, that the, the Word who, who came to earth as Jesus Christ, uh, well, that Word was always God. Mm-hmm. So we see that, and that's pretty explicit. But there, there are other things in Scripture that, that sort of push us to think hard about what might be going on here. So if we think uh, about Luke 8, uh, for example, and the disciples and Jesus Christ are in a boat, and there, there's a storm that comes about, and the disciples are, are terrified and cry out, you know, to, to, go, uh, to Christ, you know, look, we're about to die. Uh, and Jesus calms the storm. Okay, well, that might, you know, I suppose what, one of the things we could do is, is that we could read that as, as just, well, that's a, that's a pretty impressive thing that Jesus did. And, and maybe uh, that, you know, is supposed to tell us that he's God. But that's actually not exactly, I mean, it is certainly an impressive thing that he, that he would change the weather. But that's not exactly what's going on there. Uh, because, I mean, so we've already even talked about or mentioned Psalm 29. So that Psalm is about, uh, in part, God being master over the storm. And so what we see then is that Jesus does something that is God's action. Mm-hmm. So the Old Testament tells us uh, that uh, you know, God is the one who is the master over the storm. And yet in the New Testament, we see that Jesus masters the storm. So then that should cause us to think if we, especially, I mean, yeah, part of this is about knowing our Bibles well, and that's what puts the the pressure on us to think in a Trinitarian way. Because if we don't know that background about, you know, God's people affirming that God controls the weather, well, this might just seem like an amazing thing that we can take or leave. When we know that God controls the weather, uh, according to the scripture, and then we see Jesus do that. Mm -hmm. That's why the disciples are, who is this? Mm-hmm. That's their question, right? Who is this? Uh, and that's the question we should ask. Who is this? Well, and this person who does the things that God does is God. Mm-hmm. Is God who has come in the flesh to, to redeem us. I mean, well, you know, one of, um, one of my favorite instances, so that's not just a singular example. So mm-hmm. uh, Mark 6 yeah. You know, it contains a very a famous passage about, and, and it's in other Gospels too, about Jesus walking on the water. Um, and 
you know, that again, we could think, okay, is this just an impressive thing that Jesus was able to do? Uh, well, it certainly is an impressive thing, but it doesn't stop there because, um, one, there's a couple of things in that passage. So, uh, so in Mark 6, the verses tell us that as Jesus walked across the waves, he intended to pass by them. Mm-hmm. Now, why in the middle of the night, if Jesus is walking on the water, would he want to walk past his disciples rather than get in the boat? you know, with them. Well, one of the things that we can be reminded of is, is in the book of Exodus, how, mm-hmm. how God is the God um, who will pass by Moses. As he passes by, he declares his glory, that he is the God who will give mercy to whom he will give mercy. Uh, and so, you know, that language, which seems like an odd phrase, well, sometimes the Bible isn't putting things in an odd way because they didn't, no, they sounded odd. Sometimes they're signaling for us, this is odd. What does this mean? I'm putting this here to flag it for you. Uh, and so that is a, a divine action, the divine passing by. But even on top of that, the, the full account uh, of Jesus walking on the water, well, Job 9.8 right, tells us uh, there that he, meaning God, only, So that word only, so God only stretched out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. So God alone can tread on the waves. And yet we see Jesus Christ treading on the waves. So what does that tell us? Well, that the the scripture is revealing to us Jesus Christ as the eternal God in the flesh. So, I mean, there are, there are good biblical reasons. Some of these are, are not, um, yeah, I mean, the scripture reveals a lot of truth by telling us stories, um, true inspired accounts of, of real events. Yes, certainly, but told in a way and, and recording events themselves that tell us something more profound than just these things happen. Uh, the fact that some of these things happen also tell us that Jesus Christ is God himself. That's really helpful to see how both explicitly and implicitly we see the triune God at work in scripture. Um, and, and even that's something, so actually you didn't know, but some of the women in our church are going through the gospel of Mark. And that's something that we've been trying to highlight as we're going through. And just to be reading all of scripture with that mindset of, okay, how how is this pointing back to the Father? How is this pointing forward to the Son? Where do I see the work of the Holy Spirit empowering? Just just sort of reading with a more triune lens, I think is a helpful place mm. to start. And um, so that's, that's really great examples. Thank you for those. Um, and I guess that's, that's maybe where we want to land things as well. So we've talked about the Trinity, we've talked about what it is, we've talked about um, knowing God as he has revealed himself. Why, why, why bother? Why bother doing this episode? How does it change anything day to day? Um, and maybe that's the start of it a little bit about how we read scripture. But what are some applications out of knowing this? Or so how, how might this affect us day to day, knowing what we know about God as the triune God? Yeah, well, so, so there's several things that I think actually make this really profound for uh, as an aspect of the, the Christian life. Um, one, um, we want to affirm. I mean, I mean, and I don't. I don't mean that just sort of you know 
over there dist in a distant manner. We, we as individuals want to affirm that God loves us. Mm. Uh, you know, that, that tends to be something rightly. So that's important to people is, is thinking that God loves them. And, and one of the things about this is the Trinity explains why God is love. Mm. Uh, so love is directed at someone else. I mean, love has an object, uh, no other religion has the same God that we do because our God is one in essence and three in persons, which explains why God is love. Mm -hmm. So he is, has, God has eternally been three persons and these three persons have eternally been loving each other. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, we're the only faith group that has an explanation of why our God is love uh, in his essence uh, he didn't need the creation um, for him to start loving something. He was loving himself because God is triune. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's one thing. That's one way that we can think about this application. Uh, another thing is, right, you've already raised it. Uh, this actually does have profound implications about how we read the Bible. So this, this transforms the layers that we can think about Scripture that we can use to think about scripture. So um, yes, the gospels record true events uh, that actually happened. And yet there, there's more to it than just Jesus did these things. Well, what does it mean that Jesus did these things? Uh, and, mm. and we need to know, we, we cannot be, I mean, that's one of the things is actually, you know, you mentioned the emphasis on Jesus, which in some ways is, is very right and proper. Um, but if you want to know who Jesus is and what he's done for us, actually, you cannot be a New Testament only kind of person. You need to know your whole Bible. You need to, you need to see Jesus in light of the whole scripture because the whole scripture tells us about Jesus. And I'm not, I mean, that's kind of a Presbyterian thing that we preach Christ from the Old Testament. But actually, we didn't make it up. I mean, yeah. when we see at the end of Luke's gospel that, Jesus Christ explained himself from Moses and the prophets. Well, what does that mean? You know, when the book of Hebrews quotes the Psalms, uh, you know, about Jesus Christ, well, what's going on there? Well, what's going on there is the whole Bible is about Christ. You know, the whole Bible is about Christ as God's son uh, and God's son as our redeemer. So, we need to know the Old Testament and we need, because it teaches about Jesus and we need to know the New Testament because it teaches us more about what the full triune God is. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's an application. This helps us read our Bibles and this motivates us to read our Bibles. It's not just a book of facts. Uh, when, when the scripture tells us to meditate upon it, well, this is one thing that adds a lot of depth to that call. It's not just, well, I'm going to think about it and see what I can do with it there's connections there that actually may not be obvious. Uh, and I don't think that the, that the connections that are legitimate in the scripture are sort of like a hidden code that we break. You know, that's kind of how some people read the book of revelation is if I run it through a computer algorithm, you know, I get the end of the world date. That's not what's going on here. We're talking about things that God built into his inspired scripture uh, so that, 
we, we can reflect upon it and meditate upon the depth of scripture. So that's, that's another thing. So knowing who God is and, and why that means he can love us, things that bring new depth to our reading of the Bible. Um, and then also just knowing the God with whom we commune. Um, and the fact that this isn't like, so, I mean, right, Greek pagan mythology is full of a, a plethora of gods. And these are not actually people that you would want to know. You you want them on your side so that they don't mean that they don't do mean things to you. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's a, essentially a competition between humanity and the gods uh, and trying to get the gods favor. And yet here we see that our God uh, is loving communion. The three persons are, I mean, they cannot be otherwise than have loving communion with each other. And we are drawn into that uh, as his people through Christ. So that's something that's pretty magnificent, I think. <laughs> and then that, as we think about it, and that, that, that affects how we pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus Christ, God's own son, has earned our right to be heard before God's throne. This isn't talk. So prayer is not talking to the ceiling, hoping God hears us. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, so that we might come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might receive help in time of need. Uh, why, can, why would anyone think that they could come boldly before God's throne and ask for something? Well, it's because God's own son has earned our right to be heard there by his incarnate obedience. And by being united to him by faith, we know that God will hear us. And so, I mean, that even, that, so a very practical thing uh, that I think, so, I mean, there's lots of ways that people end their prayers, right? Um, and and this, is a, this is a very pointed practical application, and yet I think it's very important. Uh, we don't say, uh, you know, for, for your name, God, we don't say, uh, we shouldn't, at least, we, you know, there's, there's one guy online who's very popular, you know, and, and he's a celebrity pastor kind of thing, and he ends all of his prayers. Uh, it's for your beautiful name that we pray, and it drives me nuts, because that's not, that's not why we, we pray in the name of Christ. Mm. And we, we certainly might pray for God to be glorified. That's true. But we have a mediator. Jesus Christ, who is God's own son, who conveys our prayers before God's throne. And the Spirit, Romans 8, right, helps us to pray when we don't know how we ought to pray. So the triune God is at work to help us pray, to make our prayers heard, and we need to pray the right way. In the name, for the sake of Jesus Christ, answer our prayers. Not some other reason, I pray in the name of my mediator the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's own son. So, I mean, right, there's a phrase. That if you want, as practical as it gets, <laughs> learn a phrase. In the name of Jesus, mm. that's how we pray. Brilliant. Thank you, Harrison. That, that, that's really helpful. That's really um, practical, even as we think on these things of how it affects us day to day, not just so that we have more knowledge, but that we are changed by that knowledge um, and we mm. live out of that knowledge. So that's really helpful. Thank you, Harrison, for your time today. I'm sure Alex and I have been sitting just listening and nodding and and taking it all in. And I have no doubt that anyone listening along will have found that beneficial as well. So thank you. Thank you for your time this morning. 
It's been a real privilege. I'm, I'm glad to get to do it. Thanks for having me. No, it's, it's our pleasure to have you. Thank you. Um, yeah, very much so. Thank you. Yeah, and like, like I guess, how do you even wrap that up? Like it's, it's been a touching on, on the start of who this, who this God that we worship is. And we would encourage anyone listening, do you read your Bible in this way? Think of how you're praying. Think of how we talk about the triune God that we serve. Um, and do get in contact. We can recommend other things. We can, we can chat more about this. We'd love to, to encourage you as you consider the God that you worship as he has revealed himself. So I guess just a closing thought, and as something Piper had said about how right knowledge of God leads us to right affection toward God. And I think that's very much what we've been chatting about today. Um, and as we seek to, to love God well, to serve him well, then we have to know him well. And that's, that's what we want to be doing through these episodes, is what we want to be doing as we, as we come to scripture, and certainly as we consider the triune God. Um, so thank you for your time. Thank you for everyone listening in. Um, and we will chat again soon.